Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 141, and this week's episode is all about a topic that I say a lot of us, honestly, you know, we don't always pay enough attention to, and that's how do you create great documentation, great documentation sites. Uh, there's a lot that goes with this. It's more than just the docs themselves. Sing it, brother. Uh, and yeah, I, I got to tell you, it's a it's a thing that's close to my heart. And today, I'm John Pop along with Ward Bell and Craig Shoemaker as my co-hosts. And today we've also got on a fantastic guest who knows a lot about this topic, Sebastian Lorber. How are you doing? I'm fine, and you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming on today to talk to us about this topic, because you are one of the uh, amazing people who can really talk deeply about it out there. And let me tell the audience a little bit about who you are. So Sebastian's a React early adopter, and he's passionate about the Jamstack and cross-platform development especially with React Native. Ooh, I love React Native. He's a freelancer working for Facebook as the Docusaurus maintainer. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thanks. So Sebastian, first, tell us a little bit about what, what exactly is Docusaurus? I mean, what is this thing we're going to be talking about today? Because I think it's, it is the main focus of our conversation. Yeah, so it's a tool that was created by Facebook. It's open source. And uh, the goal is to create uh, documentation websites easily. So in practice, in, it's a static site generator like uh, like other projects like uh, Jekyll, uh, Gatsby, and things like that. Um, it generates uh, HTML files that you can host anywhere like uh, any Jamstack website. So similar tools that you may have heard of, uh, there is, uh, for example, MKDocs, that is a a popular tool of the Python ecosystem. Um, I don't know all the documentation tools because I'm not so... I, I, I mean, I'm working on Docusaurus since only over a year now, but uh, I was not very um, familiar with the documentation ecosystem before, so this is a bit new for me, so I don't know the whole ecosystem yet. Uh, but uh, I see that there are a lot of tools that permits to create documentation uh, sites and all have uh, different trade-offs. Some are uh, just basic static site generators that you can, uh, where you have a lot of flexibility, but you have to, to put a lot of work. And uh, others are uh, not very flexible, but you you can just focus on the content and um, and uh, you have your site online in a few minutes. And this is one of the uh, resources is a tool that tries to to be the a good uh, middle ground between the two approaches somehow. So you keep the flexibility, but at the same time, you can focus on content and uh, and just write uh, markdown files. So let me make sure I'm hearing this correctly and and, and representing this well, because I'm, I'm looking at the docusaurus.io website, which is in our show notes, everybody, so you can go check it out. Uh, and effectively, what the page says is, okay, you're powered by markdown. That tells me that I'm going to write markdown for my docs. Uh, it's using React under the covers. And you get great stuff like uh, search capabilities, versioning for the documents, and translations to, it looks like, 70 languages. That's pretty impressive. Uh, is that a good overall description there? 
Yeah. So we have a couple of folks in the show uh, along with you who have different experiences with docs. <laughs> um, Craig, what's your job, Craig? Uh, actually, I'm on the docs team at Microsoft right now, which is kind of fun. But interestingly, before that, uh, I worked for a company called Infragistics, and I was involved in a lot of different aspects of which we have teams of people to do at Microsoft. So I wrote the website to display our docs. I wrote the build process to build our docs. I wrote an editor to help us write our docs. And so talking to you is is pretty exciting for me. Um, I, I'm curious, can, can you tell us, like, what's the day in the life of someone who's using Docsaurus? So we've talked about how it's like really easy to use. You're using Markdown. Like, what do they have to do to get a site up and running? Yeah, actually, um, this is uh, this really depends on the person. So you have a different kind of uh, usage of DocuSaurus. For example, some people just want, they have a small open source project and, and they just want to, to have something better than uh, GitHub uh, readme files and things like that. So they write some markdown files in the folder and they have a config file for the DocuSaurus site and they are able to build a static site from there. Eventually, they will uh, add some colors so that uh, they have some kind of branding for their project or somehow uh, respect uh, maybe their company's colors and things like that. But um, they they can mostly just focus on the on the content and write markdown files. And there are also other um, more powerful users somehow that really want to customize the Cusaurus. So they benefit from the, the content-centric approach where you just write Macdon files, but at the same time, they want really to, to be able to customize the, 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 the site, but not only the, the CSS, also the, the HTML that is produced and the, eventually the behavior that we wrote with React because we, we provide some default behavior, but you are not forced to to keep this behavior. You can override it with your own behavior if you want. So this is very flexible. But the more you customize, the more somehow we don't have um, somehow the the API surface is a bit uh, blurry. So if you customize too much and we do some uh, internal changes, it can be a bit annoying also to upgrade. So this is a uh, uh, this is not also. Uh, I mean, the more you customize and the more you you have to maintain the site, so it's a trade-off that you have to choose. Yeah, that makes sense. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? No, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. Let me ask the question a a little bit different. Let's suppose I, I, I have GitHub and I've been writing markdown files. 
Um, what is going to make me say, I got to do better than this? What is, and Docusaurus can help me do better. What are the one or two or three things that Docusaurus is going to do for me? Uh, so Docusaurus, um, you, you can have your documentation on, on GitHub with Markdown. Uh, some major difference that you will see is that we are using a, a special um, Markdown parser that is called MDX, and it permits to to insert React components inside your, your documentation. So somehow you can make your documentation very interactive. Uh, you can, for example, have um, um, a, a table that will query uh, some uh, API endpoint and show uh, dynamic data inside your documentation with filters and things like that. So you have a lot of freedom. Basically, everything you can implement with React, you can add inside your Docusaurus site as a, as a part of your doc, like a section somehow. And um, maybe you have seen also some bloggers are using MDX for to create a really interesting blog post where there are a lot of things that are interactive. And MDX is one of the tools that, uh, that enable this. And also some other difference that we have from uh, simple Markdown files uh, is that uh, you can uh, present the documentation a bit uh, in a better way. So, uh, I mean, this is a, this is my opinion that browsing documentations on GitHub is not the most uh, the most uh, um, convenient way to to navigate uh, in the documentation. And some also feature some features that we have in addition is, for example, we provide. Um, tools to, to translate the documentation easily. And also we provide a way to version the documentation on the same website. So basically you have a, a dropdown in the website where you can select from, uh, for example, version one or version two. And when you switch the version, you keep, uh, you stay on the document you are on, but you just change the version. So you keep the, the current context that you are, the, the, the doc that you are currently reading. But when you switch the version, you you will uh, navigate to the same version, to the same documentation in another version. You're throwing out all these amazing things. Uh, I want to like dig into each one. So when you talk about the interactive parts of it, like when yeah. I think of interactive docs, some some uh, companies that have done this extremely well, like Auth0 and Stripe, where you log into their site and then you navigate to their docs, and then you'll see API endpoints that are customized just for you. Or maybe you see your API keys show up in just the right spot in, in your docs. Like, is that possible through Docusaurus? And what other kind of interactive features do you have available? Uh, so um, the thing is, Docusaurus is not opinionated toward a, a use case like an API. So um, we don't provide much features like uh, maybe you have to log in and things like that. And I mean, we we only deploy a stack. Uh, we only the responsibility of Docusaurus is just to build a static website. So we don't provide any authentication endpoint, and uh, we don't have any way to authenticate the user with cookies and things like that. But um, in theory, you can uh, you can add uh, interactive components inside your documentation that will require uh, authentication through some cookies and things like that, and you will be able to to query authenticated endpoints and show uh, uh, data that is customized for your own uh, for your own account somehow. But this is not something that we provide out of the sure, box. Yeah. I, I don't know if a lot of users have done this uh, so far based on uh, Docusaurus. Well, um, are, would you say that many of the people who use Docusaurus um, are like they're, they're, 
the kinds of things that go there are uh, programming or application libraries or things like that that somebody would want to that the that the reader would want to code with, and therefore there might be code examples. Do you have plugins for code examples or something like that? Uh, we we have, for example, uh, a way to display code blocks, and we have um, uh, we have a plugin that permits to transform the code block into uh, an interactive um, code uh, code block. So you can type, you can change the code, and see the the value that it produces at runtime. But it only works for uh, for JavaScript. Unfortunately, there is no uh, good solution so far to run any uh, any language right, in the browser. Right. So. But there's something like you, you can run CodePen or StackBlitz or something like when I don't know there's a whole list of these that can be run and so you can you, DocuSource can host a little block of that stuff. And... Yeah, you, you can uh, actually as um, MDX allows to put uh, GSX inside the Markdown. So instead of using embedded HTML, you use embedded GSX. So if you want to embed an iframe with GSX, you can. And you can uh, embed code sandbox. You can embed uh, other things based on iframes and things like that. But I don't think it's the best experience because actually the the, the advantage of um, of MDX is to not use iframes, but to have the the interactive content being native to to your site. So you don't have to to do another request to another third party website to to load the interactive content. And have a whole new set of JavaScript to load in the page, and somehow have spinners and things like that. So here you can just put, make your page interactive, and actually the MDX compiler will transform the Markdown content inside the uh, a React component. So it's not like uh, the regular um, static websites using Markdown. You really have in the end um, a React application, and all the documents that you write are React components somehow. You have a favorite site that people could go to that demonstrates um, uh, how DocuSource could be used. Um, you yeah, know, actually, re- this is something that uh, that I've implemented recently. Um, if you look at the website, we have a, a showcase tab, and uh, I've added filters recently because I think we, we have a lot of sites here, and some of them really stand out by. Uh, by the level of customization that they did on the website. Um, and we have a, a favorite filter so that you, you will be able to see maybe a dozen of sites that are really, uh, really great. For example, there is the one about a React Native um, that I like. There is the Quest DB that is uh, quite pretty too. And um, I think there is a Vector or something like that, which is, uh, which is really... Uh, very customized. So this is a really a good showcase of what is possible uh, to build with uh, with DocuSaurus. Let's talk a little bit about search, uh, particularly like uh, local search within the browser. H- how do you handle that? And is there a size at which your content set gets too big for search and you kind of have to sh- shove that off onto the server? Um Actually, the only plugin that we have for search is uh, provided by, uh, I mean, it's something that we build, but it's powered by Algolia Doc Search. Okay. So Algolia is providing for free to open source projects uh, a tool, um, an index that is called Doc Search. Um, and uh, they, they manage the configuration of multiple open source projects to, to create uh, an index that is free for, for all, all those projects. Okay. 
And uh, we just have to build the integration to use their component library to, to plug it into the Docusory site. And the, the goal is to have some powerful search functionality that is um, that is not too hard to set up. So you just have to to ask their support team to 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 get a, an index name somehow. I think, and then you just add this uh, this name to your config file, and you have your your your, your search that is working. Nice. And uh, we also have some community plugins that are using uh, local search engines like. Uh, I think we tried to build one with Fuser and uh, also how um, Lunar, Lunar. So uh, yeah, I think it's Lunar or something like, like okay. that. And there are a lot of uh, libraries that permits to to create some client side experience to to search. But I think it's not as great as Algolia, and uh, you have to to ship a lot of uh, JavaScript to the, the client mm -hmm. to have a very uh, good experience that works for all the languages and things like that. And um, also, the, you have to, to ship the index to the client to be able to search. So it can be a, a huge bundle to send to a lot of data. In particular, for example, if you have a lot of um, DocuSource sets can have a lot of versions. So if you have a lot of versions, you can end up with a, a very large index. That was, and, um, yeah, the kind of the bane of my existence when I was trying to build this all from scratch many years ago was the uh, search aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a different angle on this for just a moment. Let's say that I happen to know some open source creators of applications <laughs> out there on the web, and they want to create, uh, they being me, wants to create um, a documentation site for their content. Uh, today, a lot of folks use Gatsby or ViewPress or even like custom 11T or, or things like that to do something just quick and easy. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it all gets down to time and energy and, and know-how, like what you're familiar with in a lot of cases, because you want to get it moving quick. I, it sounds like Docusaurus, while it, be, it could be great for a, a Facebook or a, a Microsoft or, you know, large companies or Stripe, um, it could also be good for these smaller projects that might be out there too. Yeah. If somebody would grab that for this, like what what are the first steps that you would recommend for an open source project creator to say, here's how you should start with DocuSource so you don't feel overwhelmed? Yeah, so this is a good question because uh, I really want to, to make it very easy to adopt uh, DocuSource. Um, so for me, uh, uh, supposing that you already have some documentation on GitHub, Maybe you have organized it um, in a folder like uh, slash docs and, or things like that. Um, for me, the idea is that you just um, use this docs folder as a source for your DocuSource site, and uh, you provide a little bit of configuration, for example, the, the deployment uh, URL of, the, of your website, and uh, maybe uh, your favicon and your social card and things like that some basic metadata, and you, you will be able to build your website and deploy it for free using GitHub pages. Um, normally, you have to configure some things like a sidebar and things like that, but we try to, to, to have good defaults and read from the file system. And for example, if you have a documentations that are prefixed by one, two, three, and, and things like that to, to have some kind of order, uh, we try to manage that to, to strip the, the number prefix and uh, create some kind of uh, navigation that is that keeps the ordering that you defined. And um, 
So we try to have good defaults, and basically you you just have to put the the Markdown documents inside the a docs folder, and uh, you should be able to to start from there. And then you can uh, add the customizations later. For example, if you want to change the colors, if you want to change the the document URLs uh, independently, you can use a front matter like a slug. And you can also change the position of the items. Okay. You can add links to your sidebar. You can. Uh, uh, we try to be flexible, but the basically the idea for me is that the it should be very easy to to get started. Do you think it's and, reasonable for someone to get started uh, creating a, a documentation site for their project? Um, you know, in a day or two to get something up and running that looks yeah, and feels actually, like what they need. The, yeah, the the goal is really to to be much faster than that. You. Uh, you can basically type uh, new in your browser and um, you you will see that uh, it is running uh, the the init template in uh, in stackbits basically uh, by the way it's the new technology that you have heard of maybe uh, the web containers that uh, that is uh, basically running node inside uh, your <laughs> your browser which is a bit crazy and um, so uh, we we allow users to be able to try the Cusorus easily inside the browser. We have uh, we have uh, this working in code sandbox and uh, stackbits, and um, from there you can try to to see uh, if you are able to create some documentation websites with some uh, some documentation pages. We have a very easy tutorial that you can follow in in five minutes. I, I guess five minutes. Not totally sure, but uh, that's, uh, that's what it says. It says right yeah. here, I can I can understand yeah. it in five minutes with these yeah. three commands. That's yeah. a guarantee right there. I, That's I a guarantee. Yeah. You can be there and then, then the fun begins. Yeah. So this is really something, I, I mean, I was not a very uh, friendly to the documentation ecosystem, but I, I've tried to, to learn how to write good documentation because we are a documentation tool and we also have to write good documentation for, for the users. And it's mostly me that is writing the documentation. So um, what I think is that after reading some uh, good practice about uh, creating documentation is that it's really important for, for users to to somehow have a very easy to follow tutorials with very clear instructions that we they just type what you what you say that uh, that they should type and and then they see a, a result on the screen and there is no ambiguity we don't have to provide all the the API um, in the uh, in the initially in the first tutorial but basically the the goal is that somehow to spark joy to the user uh, as soon as possible so that. Uh, he is happy to to try more about the tool. So, just as an example, I mean, DocuSaurus. I presume DocuSaurus documentation is in DocuSaurus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just have to ask, and uh, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I mean, this is a pretty, you know, good. This is the way a lot, you know, I kind of like my documentation to be laid out. So, when I start my five minutes, am I, you know, do I have scaffolding that would let me start? Uh, plugging into something that would be more or less look look like this. Um, so um, the the thing is, when you initialize a new Docusaurus site, you will have exactly what you see in Docusaurus uh, new, which is running in uh, which is basically the init template that is running in uh, in uh, Stackbits. And you can uh, y- y- there is a tutorial that is embedded in this uh, init template that you can follow, and you can just edit directly in this. Um, in this uh, init template, 
to to do your modifications and try uh, directly. I, I mean, you will start your the the DocuSource site and you will see the your site will contain by default uh, the tutorial and you will have to to try to modify it to see uh, how DocuSource works or not. Hey, are you building apps in React, Angular, Node, or some other framework? Well, with NX, you can build your full stack apps in a shared mono repo, integrate with modern tools, and reinforce best practices. You'll get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier that will simplify your workflow. NX also helps you simplify the relationships between applications and shared libraries to make it easier to share more code and develop more consistently across teams. And the best part is you'll build higher quality apps and spend less time on configuration. So visit nx.dev to get Narwhal's popular open source toolkit for monorepo development today. I'm wondering um, how you personally came to decide this is what you wanted to do. What What is the story? How did you get to be where you are writing and supporting DocuSource? Um, so actually, um, I've been using React for a very long time now. Um, I, I think I was an early adopter uh, in the uh, beginning of uh, 2004. Um, and uh, 14, sorry. And um, so this is maybe seven years ago. I've been using React for multiple applications. And uh, recently I was, uh, I started to uh, to become a freelancer four years ago and try to sell consulting and things like that. It was going fine and things like that. But uh, I saw an opportunity with uh, to work with Facebook on DocuSaurus. And uh, I thought it was uh, something that I wanted to, to do because... Um, um, I think it's quite uh, unusual to have the opportunity to work with Facebook as a contractor on open source. So I like the um, the idea to to maximize my time by at the same time working on something that I find interesting. Somehow uh, uh, it permits to 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 improve my skills in React. And also to to work with Facebook, which is an interesting customer to have on, uh, on your your CV, I think. And also to be paid to work on open source, which is uh, pretty great because uh, at the same time it contributes to your personal branding and things like that. So so I see multiple advantages to to take this opportunity. But I didn't know the Cusarus before accepting uh, this uh, this contract. Apart having uh, heard the name, but I didn't know that so many people were using it, and I didn't know anything about the the documentation ecosystem. Somehow I was much more familiar with uh, uh, Gatsby and Next.js and Pixlabet, which are the popular tools in in the the React ecosystem. And um, I know that there are... So when you start talking about localization and translation and issues like that, what's involved in it? And because you said translation, but I mean, is there like a machine translation that happens in the background or like, how does that work? No, so um, basically the idea is that, for example, you we use file system conventions. So you have your main documentation uh, and... I don't know how to call this, but I, we can call this the upstream language somehow, like uh, like the master branch or the main branch of uh, of Git. 
And um, what you want is to create uh, some um, some copies of the of the original language and uh, to translate them. Uh, so you, there are multiple strategies to to do that. You can, for example, uh, use uh, translation software. Uh, we are familiar uh, with Crowdin. We work with Crowdin uh, with the Quizarus. So this is the the most documented solution. But basically, you can use whatever you want. Basically, the concept is that you you take your original language files and you upload them to to a remote service. And then you configure the languages on this service that you want to translate to. And uh, you then download back the translated files to to the to your uh, local uh, file system. And if you put it, if you put the files in the in the right place, for example, the slash uh, French slash uh, mydoc or something like that, and then you run the build command of the Quizorus, it will pick in priority the the localized files, and you will be able to build one localized site per per language. So this is one strategy, but basically we are based on uh, file system conventions. You just have to put the files at the right place. We didn't want to have any coupling with any uh, external provider. And if you really want to, you can manage the translations of, on Git. But the, this is a bit challenging for very large projects because uh, the, the main language may evolve and you have to, to backport the changes to every other translation uh, that you have. Uh, so, for example, there are some large uh, translated sites that use uh, Git to translate uh, the to translate uh, their documentation. For example, React.js is using uh, a, a custom strategy that is uh, basically using one fork of uh, the main uh, Git repo per language. Uh, so this is uh, this is interesting because it permits to to easily merge the the changes from the upstream uh, documentation to the lo localized uh, documentation. But also it's a bit challenging because you have to maintain one uh, one fork per uh, per local, and you have to 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 configure the the permissions so that the appropriate person in each fork has. Uh, the, the permission, things like that. So the, this has challenges. You also have some automations that were built somehow to to send automatic pull requests to sync the the main language to the forks. Uh, just to make it clear, the React.js is not using uh, Docusaurus because it needs some more customizations. So this is this is just one strategy that is possible that you can take inspiration from. But um, it's not uh, one that, uh, that has been used with Docusaurus so far, I think. It says on the website that you use crowd, some, or you ask that we, the user, use Crowdin to translate our docs. How does Crowdin relate to, to your translation service? Yeah, so um, we, we, we are just based on file system conventions. So you just put the files at the right place in your file system to get. Uh, to get your translation being uh, consumed by Docusaurus. And basically, Crowdin is an external service. We, you, you can, it's one of, I mean, it's one service along a lot, a lot of uh, other services that you can use with Docusaurus. And we have documented how to use it with uh, Docusaurus, but we are not tightly coupled with uh, Crowdin. So you can right. use another service if you want. Um, we but just you just you just know how you just know that that's going to work. So I can take my documentation yeah. and 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 have it translated into French and and um, and yeah, 
it, uh, the whole workflow will will be clear. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, in in theory, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in practice, it's not always the case because wow. you have a. I mean, the the translation softwares are, have uh, their own bugs, so. <laughs> Oh, of course, of course, but that's yeah. you're saying that's a sort of a uh, that's a well known workflow. Yeah. So I can follow that process, and um, I'll get I'll, I'll at least get results. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how the versioning works. So if you switch between versions of one article to a next, like how did how does that work within the system? Uh, so by default, Docuzorus, uh, when you create, uh, we have a, a clear that permits to create a new version. And basically what it does it, is it copies your upstream documentation to a, a version folder. And when we build a website again with uh, Docuzorus, you will have um, the two versions that are live on the same website. So these are not two different websites. These are the two versions will be available in the same uh, single page application. So this is a bit different from most uh, documentation uh, tools that uh, you may be familiar with because many documentation tools will will have uh, maybe a different domain per uh, version and things like that. You can do that with the Cusaurus. If you want, you can, you can use your own versioning using uh, Git branches and uh, separate uh, domain per versions. But the, by default, we try to, to keep it simple and uh, Assume that it's fine to to build all the versions inside a single single page application, and um, you will be able to easily switch from one version to another, and you will be also able to edit all the versions from the master branch instead of uh, having to 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 switch branch to edit all the versions that you want to modify in case you want to backport uh, the changes that you that you want to do. So so how do you handle it when? version one has a little bit different text that needs to be on the screen than version two, if you're managing everything from the, the central branch? Uh, it's, uh, we have copies of documents. So basically, you have two files. So if you have version one and version two, you have two files in the end. Uh, previously, we used some kind of uh, diff approach where, for example, the, the version one folder was... Uh, Add all the files, and then if you want to create version two and only one file was modified, you would only uh, override the file from version one. But um, this was a bit confusing for the user, so we decided to to move to a snapshot approach. So when you create a new version, you basically copy all the documentations uh, from uh, one folder to another, and you have to maintain uh, the the documentations. And sometimes the Two files will have exactly the same content because it's not modified across two versions. But I think it's not a problem and it's uh, less confusing for the user that uh, if he wants to edit version two slash my doc, he has to go to the version two folder and not uh, do um, and not try to find the the doc in a, in another folder that is in a previous version somehow or things like that. Well, Sebastian, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today about uh, DocuSource. We've captured uh, quite a few links into the show notes for everybody here and put a bunch of links into Sebastian's own uh, Twitter and website as well, so you can reach out to him. We'd like to end our show with some final thoughts for our listeners out there, and this could be on topic for docs or anything that's just happening in the world for us lately. Mr. Ward Bell, what is your final thought for our audience today? <laughs> oh, that's terrible, John. 
Uh, you I, know I never I, start with you, so I just no, figured no, I'd throw you, you off. start with me? Man, I'm just coming off a of vacation. <laughs> I've been catching fish uh, or knowing fish. It's catch and release, so I just slap the water with it, and they jump on it occasionally. Shouldn't that be your final thought then, like go on vacation? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, that's that. my thought is vacation good, fishing good, mountain air good. Uh, so, yeah. Um, get out, you know, stop what you're doing now, quit your job. No, don't quit your job. <laughs> Just stop what you're doing now and go, go fishing. Fantastic. Um, I think I'll finish the podcast before I do that. So <laughs> I'm already uh, gone. I encourage you all as well. <laughs> Mr. Shoemaker, what is your final thought for our audience? So this is going to be fun because, you know, reading syntax on a podcast is always like the best thing to do. Um, I wanted to update a readme in one of my Git repos and I wanted to put an image in the readme. And every time I try to figure out like what's the path that you need to use in order to get to an image in your repo, it's always a mess. So I found it on on Stack Overflow. So the best thing for you to do is probably just search this out on Stack Overflow. But the key is, is to put the branch name in there and then the query string parameter of raw equals true along with the path of your image from your readme or any other markdown file. And whoa, whoa, you got to put that in the show notes, Chris. Okay, I'll put do that. that. You, you so, know that um, I've, I've seen a Docuzero site with uh, links with raw equals true in the in the links, and I didn't know where this came oh, from. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, that's a GitHub thing. So hopefully that'll make your life a little bit easier. Because you know what, Craig? I think that's just the motto. Raw equals true. It's just <laughs> words right. to live by. <laughs> Uh, Sebastian, what is your final thought for our audience? Uh, yeah, so I wanted to say that I'm quite excited by a project that is called Remotion. Um, this is this is a really interesting project that permits to create videos with React. So basically, uh, you you use you use Remotion to create uh, one frame at a time, um, a frame of your video, and then you assemble the video with uh, with um, with FFmpeg, and uh, I think it's really interesting because basically you can create videos programmatically by using all the um, all the cool technologies uh, from the web, including WebGL and including also some things that are pretty new like Houdini and whatever you want. And uh, as long as it's supported in um, in uh, the latest uh, Chrome version, I think you can use it. So this is quite uh, quite interesting. And uh, it opens the door to to multiple uh, marketing opportunities. And I am currently building something uh, also based on it, which is um, I'm, I'm creating a bot where, for example, when you mention it on Twitter, uh, it will record the Twitter thread as a video automatically. So basically, you have uh, some uh, some oh, very cool. that says um, uh, that post an interesting thread. You you call the bot like a thread reader app and things like that, and you end up with a video that is posted on uh, on Twitter. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, we'll definitely let's drop some links in the show notes for that as well. Uh, and my final thought for the audience today is try some open source projects. Like get get started in something yourselves. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, last week, I was pulled kicking and screaming into an open source project by uh, Craig Shoemaker, who you may know as our co-host. <laughs> Uh, on this show. No, I'm just teasing. And we we paired for, uh, I'd say, on and off for three days. That was really all we did. And we put something together. It was really like a, uh, it was a company-sponsored hackathon type thing where we just hacked some ideas together. 
And it was a lot of fun because we each got to use things that were useful, but also we learned to uh, explore some new areas. Like I got to learn how to use SVGs inside of VS Code, which uh, I had never done before. Uh, and it all relied back on what made it all possible. It was not just the collaboration. It was, here we go, good documentation for the VS Code <laughs> API. It's true. So without it, I would have no idea that you could even do this. Like I was trying to figure out how do I put an icon inside the gutter of VS Code? And, you know, Craig and I were thinking we had to create files to do this. We're like, oh, that's going to be a pain. We have to upload all these files. But no, you could create SVGs and use them as resources and just load them dynamically. And and good, it uh, really made things nice. Good, good samples, too, also available. Yeah, they have great samples, which I found probably, honestly, probably even more useful than the docs. The docs are great, but the samples were even better. So uh, to me, great samples, great docs, they go together. Uh, and it really helps when you're creating open source projects. So. My final thought is think about all these things, but most importantly, create yourself some random ideas some of these days and grab a partner and build something together. Well, thank you all for coming on to the show uh, again for yet another week of Web Rush. And we're really enjoying uh, bringing this to you every week and our sponsors make this all possible. We have AG Grid and IdeaBlade and Narwhal who help us bring us on the air every week. And you'll hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time. <laughs>